Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. I'm Maria Brosnan. This episode is a bit different than normal as I'm the guest rather than the host. I recorded it with Caroline from Cornerstones Education for their podcast show, The Curriculum. Cornerstones have developed an online curriculum platform for primary schools called Maestro, which is full of engaging projects and time-saving curriculum tools for busy teachers and senior leaders. You can check out their podcast or visit their website to find out more about the great work they're doing with over 2,000 schools across the UK. There's a link in the show notes. In this episode, I talk about a subject very dear to my heart, and that's sleep. Over half of teachers and school leaders are struggling to get a good night's sleep in the UK at the moment, according to the latest Teacher Wellbeing Index research. So I hope you find it helpful, and as always, please share it with anyone you think might enjoy it or benefit from listening. Hello, Maria. A really warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Well, I'm really pleased to have you on because this is such an important topic. And I know that listeners, I'm sure, will come away with meaningful tips that they can put into action to improve their sleep and also just know that things can improve because it's so often the case that you get overwhelmed by sleep deprivation. And we're going to cover all of that in our conversation. So I wonder if first, Marie, you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and also the new book that you've got out all about sleep. Lovely. Thank you, Caroline. Well, I'm an educational leadership and wellbeing specialist. I've worked in wellbeing for over 30 years in various capacities. So from counselling people at the end of their life through to mentoring and coaching. I'm the founder of Pursuit Wellbeing and we offer a course, a five-step wellbeing action plan course. We have a podcast, The Pursuit of Wellbeing, and as you said, the new book, The Pursuit of Sleep. Another little fun fact about me, I have six siblings and four of them are teachers. In fact, I say four of them are teachers. Four of them were teachers until last year when three of them left the profession due to illness caused by stress. And that was a real trigger for me because I'd I'd worked in wellbeing for so long, mostly on a one-to-one basis. And I've worked in schools doing different kinds of leadership training and other things in schools, but never really brought the two together. But my younger brother had a massive heart attack and obviously a really serious situation and left the profession. He was um, a geography history teacher in a very tough school in Australia and just walked away from teaching. And so many people leave the profession because they just can't take it anymore. And, And so that's really been the impetus for me to ramp up the work that I'm doing now and and really address well-being in schools for school teachers and leaders because it's really difficult. Would you say we're in a crisis or has this been building up for a long time? Well, I think I think yes, it has been building up for a long time, but I think what this year 2020 has done is added another kind of layer of complexity and a layer of pressure onto people, especially leaders, but everybody, absolutely everybody in school is feeling it. Everybody in our society, let's face it, is is feeling the effect of this. And I think research done by the Education Support Partnership this year, they they do a the Teacher Wellbeing Index 2020 just came out last month, and you can easily Google that and find it. But they said the number one symptom that um, educational professionals were experiencing as a result of the stress that they were under is insomnia and difficulty sleeping. And that has got much worse this year. Mm. And so I'll talk about that more during the podcast and explain why, what are the things that are happening? Why is it worse now? 
so we can start to understand really that that sleeplessness is a feature of the stress response. And so what do I mean by that? If we cast our mind back and imagine our cavemen ancestors a quarter of a million years ago, right? And just imagine them standing outside looking at the beautiful starry night just before they retire for the evening. And then they hear the unmistakable rustle in the grass and they know instinctively that that's a predator and so they rush back into the cave and they're wide-eyed if they may have been sleepy 10 minutes ago they're absolutely wide-eyed frozen in terror now because their body has responded to that predator and it does a miraculous job of keeping keeping them alive and keeping them safe because if they were to fall asleep the predator could, could get them right so we have exactly the same physiology, exactly the same biology as our cavemen ancestors did 250,000 years ago. So all of the hormones and adrenaline and cortisol and all of that biochemistry that kicks into action when we're under threat of some kind happens to us in, in exactly the same way. But anthropologists would say that that happened to our ancestors maybe two to four times a week. But think about our normal day, right? How many times in a day do we trigger the stress response? How many times are we stressed by an angry parent, by perhaps a, you know, a young person, a child kicking off or throwing a chair or having a tantrum of some kind, an angry parent, an angry email? You know, how many points in the day do we, do we experience this? And each time we're triggering that, that cocktail of biochemistry and it stays in our system for hours and hours, sometimes up to eight hours. So if we have a particularly stressful day and we lie down in bed at night and expect to go to sleep. It's like having a pint of espresso in our bodies that, that <laughs> awake. Yeah. Goodness. When you think of it like that, you can yeah. you can totally understand why it is difficult to switch off. And yeah. for teachers, they're getting that drip, drip, drip of stresses all through the day, all through the week. What that does is what we, we have to understand that sleep is not separate from our day. Where If we're triggering the stress response, and three things need to happen for us in order for us to experience stress. The first thing is there needs to be a stressor. So in other words, something needs to happen to trigger us. So it could be, you know, the angry parent, the email, the difficult conversations. The second thing is we need to respond in some way to that. So a lot of that is automatic. So imagine you step off the curb and there's a, a cyclist coming or a bus coming and you don't see it, you immediately respond. And we have, our nervous system is designed to do that for us, to get us out the way, to trigger the stress response, to get us to move really quickly without us having to think, oh, what should I do now? There's a bus coming, right? Our body just moves. Mm. So we respond automatically a lot of the time, but not all of the time, right? There are times when, we receive that nasty email, for example, that could trigger a stress response. We have a fraction of a second where we can choose our response. That's called our response ability. We can take a breath. We can just have a moment where we think that person might have been upset about something else. There might be something else going on in their life that's caused them to write to us like that. Or just, just taking that moment of a breath then triggers the, the third step, which is, do we trigger the stress response or not? If we take that breath and use our compassion and our care and think, okay, I, I can rationally understand this a little bit better rather than just reacting, 
that means we can manage our stress a little bit better because if we if we just react all the time mm. we're triggering the stress response so it's that step 2 where we have just that moment of taking a pause and trying to minimize the number of times that we're stressed during the day yeah and is there then a long term pattern if you're not taking that breath as you say and, and stopping can it become a vicious circle where you are exposed to stress you respond to stress which then raises your cortisol which then causes lack of sleep and then can that then lead to more stress can it just continue yes yes and that's a condition we'd call chronic stress and i would say the majority of people are experiencing chronic stress at the moment this kind of low level hum of stress that we're oddly there's a strange thing happens we become addicted to it when we're exhausted we perceive things differently and we we start to we become irritable we have we potentially have mood swings and in a school where everything is built on our relationships those things can start to really go badly wrong so when we're having chronic stress and chronic sleeplessness it can become an addiction because what happens when we're tired and we don't we don't feel like we've got much energy if something happens and triggers us we get a little boost of adrenaline and adrenaline is like a shot of energy mm. so our perception has changed where where our, our tolerance is lower but somebody could say something and rather than taking that breath and pausing we dive in and we react because we get that little boost of adrenaline and so it becomes this really strange cycle of addiction because we're so exhausted we get energy where we can and if it's from adrenaline it doesn't really matter like, of course it matters a lot but when in that exhausted state adrenaline can keep us going so mm. we've talked about the problem we all want to know i suppose what we can mm. do about it but before we talk about what to do can i just ask you maria can sleep be improved quickly or does it take a long time? What's the kind of mindset that you'd like us to have about, yeah. you know, pursuing a better night's sleep? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I would often ask people a coaching question, like how long has this been going on? So for the listeners to this podcast, if you're struggling with sleep, how long have you been struggling with sleep? If it's really just been in recent weeks or months, then you can turn that around quite quickly but if it's been something that's been an issue for you for quite some time for years many people struggle with insomnia for for years and what happens there is we make neural pathways and neural associations in our brain and some people really associate bedtime with a sense of dread in a way because it's oh i don't even know what's going to happen tonight i might lay awake for hours um so yeah. it doesn't become this I was funny I was just talking to my husband about this before we came on and he is he puts his head on the pillow and goes to sleep he just never has a problem with it at all we all know <laughs> someone like that <laughs> <laughs> i know and i really have quite a delicate relationship with sleep because i if i've had a super busy day and i'm working which i try not to do but if i'm working really late and then i just go brush my teeth wash my face and go to bed i know that i'm not going to sleep well that night but i'm so tired by then it's like 11 p.m. and i'm so tired i don't feel like i've got the energy to go and do something to kind of wind down in a more helpful way 
So, yes, we can make changes quite quickly. So to, to answer your question, if it's been going on for quite some time, if you haven't been sleeping well for five years, it doesn't mean it's going to take five years to resolve it. No. Because you can resolve these things relatively quickly. The good news is by, by simple changes you make during your day to manage your stress. And one way I like to look at it is that if you imagine your computer, right, and there are days where you just have so many tabs open or so many windows open or so many half-written emails that you've kind of parked or a half-written document and you go to shut down your computer or ironically put it to sleep, which I think is a really sweet <laughs> sweet thing to say. Yeah. So we go to put our computer to sleep and it will prompt us to say, do you want to save this before you close it? Do you want to shut down all of these windows or what do you want to do? So our computer will prompt us to say you need to shut down these things before you can go to sleep. And I really like that analogy because if we've got all of these open tabs in our minds and think, oh, God, I've got to let year four parents know about this, I've got to let Caroline know about this, I've got to send that email. If you don't kind of shut down those things and maybe write them down and make sure that you have a plan for the morning and make sure that you've closed down all of those open tabs in your mind, that's when you'll go to sleep, you'll fall into bed at whatever time. But that's often why you wake up at two or three in the morning, absolutely wide awake, thinking, oh my God, I forgot to send that email. I forgot to file that report. I forgot to whatever. And I've got to mentor, I've got to remember it. And that's why we often wake up in the middle of the night without being able to get back to sleep because we've got so many tabs open. And so it's not a mental problem then. A lot of people feel like they're really having some serious problems because it's not a mental problem. It's a complexity problem. Yes. We've just got too much going on in our minds. So how do we just close down those tabs so that's my top tip in that area close down the open tabs I like that and, and I found a lovely quote in your book actually about the mindset to approach this and it's a quote from John C Maxwell on page 25 it's you'll never change your life until you change something you do daily the secret to your success is found in your daily routine so it's yeah. simplifying things down and making them irregular I'm sure we've all heard this but it is it's the little things often isn't it that yeah. will hopefully make the difference so can I ask you about the way you've structured the book? I've really tried hard to keep it as simple as possible because I don't want it to be another thing on the to-do list. Oh, now I've got to try and figure out how to get a better night's sleep. Well, so what I've done is broken down the book into the times of day that can be stressful for people. So, for instance, starting the day well, so what happens in the time between waking up and starting your work day or, or commuting? It depends if you're working virtually or if you're actually in school. Your commute, the work day, taking a lunch break. And I think that's probably the most controversial thing in the book is trying to encourage teachers to eat something healthy at lunchtime and take a, a break, even if it's short, through to winding down, returning home, making the most of the evening, preparing for bed, going to sleep or perhaps waking in the night and then a, a general kind of idea about resting and regrouping. So what to do in your on your weekends and, and holidays as well. So I've broken it down to look at what happens in those particular times of day for you. So you might have caring responsibilities in the morning. You might have young children that you need to get ready for school. You might have I don't know other caring responsibilities for example. So often in the morning or often during the day our day is not our own. 
you know, we've got other people to take into consideration. So what would help you first thing in the morning if you've got to get your own children ready for school, for example? Could you allow a little bit extra time? Could you prepare things the night before? And I know that these are simple things, but there's a whole a whole lot of tips around what can you do at these different times in the day? What are the yeah. stressful times for you? Um, I was doing some training the other day and everybody just had a different pinch point in their mm. day. Yeah. I, I do. When I read your book, you know, I thought I like the way you structure it because I became more aware of where I get stressed and it's actually after work, even though I'm not teaching anymore. I've got children and it's just that transition from working in my home yeah. to then dealing with the children mm. and I realized that I needed to simplify that time of day and I hope that people listening get the book if it'll help you identify mm. where your worst parts of your day are yeah I, I was doing some training the other day and and one of the, the young women on the on the call was saying that um similar to you that after work is a really stressful time of day for her and I said do you have caring responsibilities or what's happening for you? What can we look at here? Because I really, I'm a coach and I really like the coaching model of helping people identify. It's not for me to say, do these things or don't do these things. It's helping you pinpoint those days. Anyway, this young woman said, oh no, I don't have caring responsibilities. I've just got a really hungry boyfriend. <laughs> That just made me laugh the way she said that. And and so I said, what can you do to prepare food ahead of time? I don't know. Could you involve him perhaps in preparing his food? I don't know. But rather than being stressed about that, what can you actually do differently so it doesn't become this stressful time in your day? And so that's why I've broken it down into those times. How can we address small things? It's tiny little changes we can make, as you said, preparing your breakfast, preparing your evening meal, preparing a lunch to take with you. They're all small things, but they make a huge difference over time. Yeah. And the book is absolutely full of easy to action tips, you know, for every every time of the day, including, like you say, lunch times. As a teacher, I remember just going through lunch hour just without anything to eat and then grabbing tons of chocolate hobnobs. There are other biscuits available, but for me, it was them and, and a massive coffee at three yeah. o'clock. Yeah. because I hadn't eaten lunch and yeah. you know I wish I'd seen the advice and and sort of taken it on myself to really carve out even 10 minutes just to eat something I think my afternoons would have felt less stressful and yeah. you know so it's great and um, I'll, just, I'll pick up a really important point there too Caroline because our we live in cycles, right? So we have the natural cycles of the day. We have a cycle around the moon, which is over the course of the month. And we have another cycle that's the annual cycle of the seasons. And they strongly impact something in us called our circadian rhythms. And the more we're in sync with them and in tune with them, the better we'll sleep. And so the point you make about lunch is such an important one because we anchor ourselves into our day through various things and our digestive system is one of them. So we, by having regular meals during the day, it affects our blood sugar, it affects all kinds of systems and processes in the body. And so essentially it impacts our circadian rhythm and that impacts our sleep. So that's why lunch is such an important anchor in our day and it can have a really dramatic impact on our sleep and that's why. Yeah and that's the thing with the book is that you talk about through the day so because a lot of sleep tips I read are about winding down having the bath mm. doing yeah. all these things but it's about the whole day as you say it yeah. links to this rhythm that we're in. Okay so 
I mean, say somebody's now, you know, putting the tips in action, what are the benefits that people will start to see from, you know, from getting better sleep? There are so many benefits from improved mood and improved outlook, you know, improved heart health, improved relationships. And, you know, there's an endless list. But what I want to explain is why those things are happening. Because I think when we understand why these things get better with a good night's sleep, then we're more likely to prioritize it. So I'll give you a little quick science lesson. (laughs) So we have, uh, in the simplest term, I'll talk about our autonomic nervous system. And that's the part of our nervous system that helps us get out of the way of the bus when we step off the curb, right? It's that automatic response. And that accounts for 95% of the functions that are happening in our body. And that applies to respiration, our digestion, our hormone balances, all of the things that are happening behind the scenes that we never, ever even think about. And our nervous system, our autonomic nervous system is broken down into two branches, the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch. So the sympathetic branch, think of it like the accelerator. So it's kind of the energy. It, it's the, the branch that triggers the stress response, the fight or flight response. It's the kind of action you know, in very simplistic terms, right? And the parasympathetic branch is the rest or digest, rest and digest branch. And so that's associated with helping us digest our food, helping us make a baby, helping us do all of these things that are really quietly going on in the background. Now, the interesting thing is, if we only have so much energy in our body in terms of glucose, oxygen, all of the all of the energy available to us in our body, including hormones, biochemistry, all of those things, if we use up too much of that, triggering the stress response. And there's something like 1,300 chemicals that do all of these various jobs in our body. If we use too much of them in the stress response and managing our raised heart rate and all of the things that go with that, we don't have enough energy to rest and digest, to repair the damage that's caused by all of this stress. So how many people have got tummy issues like tummy pains or struggling to conceive or a lot of headaches or a lot of neck and shoulder pain all of these things that we that we really need to repair and how many teachers and senior leaders at the end of the term the first day of holidays are absolutely knocked out with some kind of cold or flu or bug it's like our body says finally Come on, fellas, let's get to work. We've got to put it to bed for three days so we can catch up on repairing all of these things that we haven't had a chance to do for the last term. So that's why when we can get a really good night's sleep, we start to feel better because all of these things are being repaired and we're getting an opportunity to you know, give our immune system a break so it can start to work more effectively. So now more than ever, we need a really fully functioning, healthy immune system, but all of the other benefits. So it's it positively impacts your mental health because we just don't have those worries whirring around in our minds. It boosts our memory. It improves our attention span and our concentration. You know, it's good for our relationships. It's good for maintaining and achieving a healthy weight. So there's just so many benefits, but they're all the result of getting a better balance happening in our autonomic nervous system. It does. It makes perfect sense. And you can see why sleep is so much part of the whole wellness package that you work on for yourself. Teaching such a potentially stressful job, you have to be on your game 
and make decisions quickly. So to be able to repair the body at night means you're in a just a better position in the day to do your job and to get through and be a mum or dad or whatever exactly. other responsibilities you have. I mean, is there anything that you could give the listeners that they could do tonight, Maria? Yeah. Is there a one tip they can put into practice? Yeah, the one thing that I'll, I'll teach you to do right now, and it's a very simple thing, but what it does, when we've triggered the stress response, it's we've dysregulated our system right? Our system needs to be in balance. That's called homeostasis. And when we dysregulate from that, our body will do everything it can to try and get us back to that state of homeostasis or balance as quickly as it can. And we can have healthy ways of doing that through exercise or all, all different healthy ways to do that, having a good meal, having a good conversation with somebody. There's lots of ways we can regulate. But many of us do it through unhealthy ways, through excessive alcohol, through excessive eating. Scrolling through social media. <laughs> Scrolling through social media, you know, excessive shopping or gambling. There's all kinds of ways that we try to get ourselves out of that agitated stress state. So what I'm going to teach you now is something called 5-5 breathing, and it is the quickest way you can self-regulate. And I've taught this for, for a long time, and the research in this is fantastic, and I'll share that with you another time, perhaps, Caroline. But what I want, one thing I want to point to is a therapist that was using this with children that had ADHD, and she did it over a period of time. And I think she worked with something like 396 children and taught them these techniques. And I'm going to teach you part of it, but there's a little bit more to it. But almost all of those children were able to come off their medication through this self-regulation. That's how powerful. I wish I could just show you Caroline's face when... <laughs> <laughs> she just had the sweetest face. Like, oh, it's yeah. this is powerful stuff we're talking about, you know. And and I think we're not talking about yoga and yogurt here, tokenistic, random acts of kindness, which are all lovely. I love all of those things, but we're talking about fundamentals here. Mm. And this is physiology. This is what's happening in our bodies and our brains. And we can do something to self-regulate so quickly. So what I'd like you to do, no matter where you are, if you're cooking, if you're going for a walk, it doesn't matter because you can do this with your eyes open or eyes closed. But if you can take a minute to sit down and just close your eyes for a minute, that would be even better. And so just take a moment to take a lovely deep breath and breathe out. And when I'm doing it. Out, do it, do it. Because when you breathe out, that is that stimulates your parasympathetic branch. On the in-breath, it stimulates the sympathetic branch. Take a nice deep breath and do a lovely long breath out. And as you're breathing, just start to relax your body if you can. Just become aware of any tension in your shoulders and neck. But I want you to breathe into the count of five, two, three, four, five, and out to the count of five, three, four, five, and in, two, three, four, five, and out, two, three four, five. So while you keep doing that, I'll just explain a little bit more about it, but just keep breathing in that really rhythmic, slightly slower, slightly deeper way. And what that starts to do is regulate the message between your heart and your brain. And it's a powerful thing to do. Take that breath. It's the most powerful way you can self-regulate. So that's step number one. It's the simplest thing you can do in the middle. If somebody is kicking off 
uh, right in your face, you can take these breaths and start to self-regulate. And what that does is you literally trigger a different part of your brain. When you're stressed, you tr trigger the limbic part of your brain. And that uses so much energy, so much oxygen and glucose and other resources in your brain, it literally shuts down the frontal cortex, the part of your brain that's designed for thinking and learning and planning and all of those things we do all day in schools. When you're stressed, it shuts that down. When you're extremely stressed by as much as 80%. When you regulate yourself like this, it creates a state called coherence and that shuts down the stress response and it turns back on the frontal cortex. That's incredible, just from something as simple as, as this. Yeah. And even I've just been doing it for maybe a minute and I already feel, even though I'm doing this podcast, I feel very, very chilled. Yeah. And it's just slowed me down a little bit. I do apologise, listeners, if I <laughs> sound a bit more uh, chilled. But yeah, I can see, I can actually feel the difference. And hopefully if you've been doing it along with us, you, you yeah. felt that as well. Keep going. Uh, because we know this instinctively, don't we? When a child is upset, what do we say to them? Come on, take a breath. It's all right. Take a deep mm. breath. We, we know this stuff. But when we know what's happening in our brains and bodies, we're much more likely to do it. Mm, definitely. I mean, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Maria, which is such a shame. I'm really enjoying talking to you about this for myself, but obviously all the listeners who may be struggling with sleep. What further help is available for teachers and leaders around sleep? Obviously, there's your book. Have you got any other resources or support that you offer? Um, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm setting up some mini CPD sessions in the new year. And so I'll, I'll let you know, Caroline, and you can let your listeners know. But I think just really quick one hour CPD sessions like this with some visuals and explaining these things to people will make a big difference. So that's what I'm going to be offering. And I think the, the one thing, the first thing that can really help people is to prioritise it, to make, yes. this, make this a priority because it's easy, it's easier not to, right? It's easier to keep working until 11 o'clock at night and get these things off my to-do list or it's easier not to do these things to prioritise sleep, but I promise you that everything is better when you are well-rested. Mm. Uh, your body is functioning so much better. Your mental state is so much better. So please start by prioritising this. Yeah, mm. and I, I would say as well, there are things that as teachers and individuals can do, but the school as a culture also has to take it seriously. And I, I mean, I've been reading a, a really good article in the Chartered College of Teachings magazine, Impact, about that, about the fact that wellness isn't just adding on a yoga session here and there. It's yeah. not going to work unless it's systemic in, in the school culture and supported by everyone. So there are things you can do, though, if your school culture isn't quite there yet. But you can also share these practices and share your achievements and your improvement with your colleagues and spread the word that way. I know you do training for senior leaders, don't you, so that the school can put these things into place but for individuals if you're listening thinking well I don't know how to change the workload issue in my school mm -hmm. there are still plenty of tips in this book that will help your sleep that you can control the other things it's it's important I think as a system and as a profession that we take it seriously because otherwise we have the retention issue and all the other issues around teaching that, that are well documented but there is hope isn't there Maria I think there definitely is and I think that one thing that this pandemic has taught us is the importance of well-being and and there's been a real flurry of activity around that which is very welcome and very timely because 
in a school, the whole school culture of everybody in that school, obviously including all of the, the children and young people, everybody benefits in a culture of well-being. And the irony is that standards go up as well, not by one or two percent, by a huge margin of, I've, I was reading recently, a number of like 20 percent. When young people, like I was describing before, when a young person is stressed and anxious ahead of, say, a test or exam, I just described what happens. They shut down their frontal cortex, that part of their brain that's responsible for memory and for learning and recall and design and creation. And we put them under this tremendous pressure and stress and they can't do it. That's why they don't do so well in exams because literally the frontal cortex, the part of their brain that they need the most is shut down. So teaching them these, these techniques of resilience and, and self-regulation, but also starting to explore what we're doing in our education system, what's not working. This is an opportunity to start to really look at this and say, okay, what can we change here? And I'm not talking whole scale, throwing everything out the window, but I, I am saying that there are some really important steps we can be taking right now to take care of ourselves, take care of each other and our young people as well. That's a fantastic way to end the podcast, Maria. And uh, before we go, actually, I'd just like to say that we're going to run a competition on Twitter. We're giving away five of Maria's books, uh, The Pursuit of Sleep for Teachers. It's a wonderful book. Again, like we say, it's very easy to dip into and to use. And it's that's the intention of it, isn't it? And Definitely. so we'll run a competition. I think you just have to tag your school name in and then it'll be picked. And we'll run that um, over the next few weeks. So do look out for that on Twitter. So, Maria, before we go, what three takeaways would you like to leave the listeners with from this podcast? So I think the first one is that the quality of your sleep isn't separate from the rest of your day. So what you do throughout the day really will have a big impact on your sleep. The second one is that sleep problems or challenges are relatively easy to resolve with simple changes to your daily habits or routines. So, it, you know, that's really good news, I think, because it can feel overwhelming at times when you're not sleeping well. So making some changes uh, can, can resolve those quite easily. And the third one is... Be gentle and kind to yourself. And I think the mindset that I quite like is imagine that you're putting a baby to sleep. If you've got a baby or a toddler, you know, you have a routine, don't you? You give them their tea and then you have a bath and a story. And it's a quieting time, isn't it, before you put a young child or a baby to bed. And you talk in a soothing tone and you give them a cuddle. And it's that kind of mindset. I'm smiling because... <laughs> Not every bedtime has gone like that for me, my children, but no. ideally, yes. <laughs> oh, God, no, not everyone has gone like that for mine as well. But that's what I, it's, that's a general feeling, right, of putting a child mm. in bed, is that, that soothing, quieting down, winding down the day. And so I'd like people to kind of adopt that mindset for themselves as well. That's fantastic. Three really great takeaways there, Marie. Thank you. So thank you again, Maria, for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And do let us know how you get on with your sleep. If you're making improvements or trying out some of the tips in Maria's book, then please do tag us in and let us know how you're getting on. And we'll see you soon for the next episode. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. 
I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program. <laughs>